Well, uh, this morning we are continuing our journey through John 15, exploring what it means to abide in Jesus, literally to remain or dwell in Jesus. And um, we're doing this with a purpose because also last week we rolled out the New City Regula. Each of you got one of these in your worship booklets and learned a Latin word, regula. It simply means rule a rule of life. This is a a phrase used by saints throughout the centuries past for a way of doing life. How do we abide in Jesus? Usually uh, we use the word disciplines, spiritual disciplines, or, or habits, or rhythms in our life that posture us to meet with and connect and stay connected to Jesus. Uh, Roger's done a lot of work on us here. These are just simple pathways for connecting with Jesus. Pathways to abide in our Lord Jesus Christ. We've broken them up in terms of hourly and daily and weekly and yearly or seasonally uh, rhythms. And this is just suggestions. So use it as, as you need. Uh, if you were not here last week and didn't get one, we have some back on the back table where we did after first service, so I can't promise you. But they were back there next to Megan uh, in our offering box. If you'd like to pick one up, we can make some more copies if you need one. But we rolled this out. We're preaching through John 15 because, as we're going to explore this morning, Jesus, one, calls us to abide in Him, but He calls us to abide in Him so that your joy may be full. I want you to have full joy, max joy. I know Roger does. I know our elder team does. And in order to do that, we have to know Christ, stay connected to Christ. And allow him to hold on to us. And these are simple means and pathways to do so. Jesus explores that truth in John 15 using the, the parable or image, really, of vine and branches. If you're like me, uh, I don't know if this is an American or just a Western thing, but you think of like the, the vine is almost like the small things. You don't want the vines. You have the tree trunk, you have the stuff, and then the vines are not Great. That's not the image here. Jesus is using a Middle Eastern grapevine image. Like the vine is the trunk-like thing. The vine is the thick portion that provides life to the things connected to it. Jesus says He is the vine. He is the life-giving plant. We are the branches, the smaller pieces that stay connected to the vine and therefore bear fruit. In my own reading this past week, just meditating on Scripture, I... uh, On this particular day, I had the ESV study Bible, and in the the study notes on the bottom, they had this really good definition or description of what it meant to abide. What is Jesus trying to communicate with this image of vine and branches? I just want to read you this definition. They say, abide is to continue in daily personal relationship with Jesus, characterized by trust, prayer, obedience, and joy. Abiding in Jesus is to continue daily personal relationship with Jesus, and that relationship is characterized by things, things that are in our text this morning. And so just by way of reminder, we're going to look at Jesus' call on our lives to stay connected, to remain, to dwell in His love, and in so doing, be filled with joy. And so to explore our three verses, we're going to ask a couple questions, four verses. We're going to ask three questions of the text. The first is why? Hopefully you're asking that question over this whole series. Why do I need to abide in Jesus? What's the big deal? Why? Secondly, how? That's a good question. We ought ought to know how we're to do this. And then third question, so what? Or what is the effect of all of this? 
first question, why? What is the purpose of abiding? Why do I need to do it? The answer is in verse 8. Look back with me at verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This comes right on the heels of verse 7 where we were introduced to a couple pieces of the New City Regula, the words of Jesus abiding in us, and us responding to the words of Jesus through asking things of the Lord. Word and prayer, receiving and reading and memorizing and responding through petition, through prayer, word and prayer. And speaking of of close communion, we abide, fruit comes, and we glorify the Father. So why, why are we supposed to abide in this? My short answer is that it glorifies God, and you and I were made for it. It glorifies God, and you and I were made for it. I can't help, I don't know if this is just me being... Uh, a Presbyterian or not, but the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, Q&A number one, the question and answer number one from that catechism. You probably know it or you've heard it. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of, of you and of me? The answer is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We were meant for this. We were meant, put on this earth to glorify, to make much of, to bring fame to our God. And in so doing, we get full joy Max joy, glorifying God and enjoying Him forever are one and the same. So we should abide, dwell in, stay connected to Jesus because we were made for it, and it brings glory to God. Roger, uh, last Sunday, briefly started to talk about this fruit, right? We'll bear fruit, right? We should ask what that is then if it's what brings glory to God and it is proof of our discipleship. Well, what is this fruit? It likely might include the fruits of the Spirit, which we read about later in Galatians. But even just more, more broad, more general, think about the image. What is a, a, a grapevine that has branches on it and the branches bear? If it's a grapevine, what, what do you think the fruit's going to be? It's not a trick question. Grapes. Jesus is the true vine. What fruit do you think the branches of the Jesus vine are going to bear? What kind of fruit? There we go. Jesus fruit. Fruit that looks like Jesus. It's it's Jesus fruit. General Christ-likeness. We're going to begin to look like Jesus. And now, of course, on this side of glory, we're never going to do that fully. It's going to be a a, a progress. We're going to be a, a, a slow project. But those connected to Jesus by faith, those abiding in Him, will bear Jesus fruit. However imperfectly on this side of glory. So that's the first question. Why? Because we were meant for it. And it glorifies God. But secondly, the question that we should be asking is, how do I do this? Because it seems pretty important. Remember, these are the last words Jesus is saying on earth to His disciples before He goes to glory. Why is He talking about this so much? We should be asking, how ought I abide in Jesus if it's so important? And I think the answers are throughout the passage, but for this morning, we're just going to answer it with verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. We'll just take those phrases one at a time. I just want to look first at this amazing statement. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That is an awesome statement. I'm using that word appropriately, awesome. Astounding. As the Father, the creator of the universe, loves Jesus, Jesus is saying that that's how he loves us. And so, if you're like me, you should be asking, well, how does the Father love Jesus? That's kind of an important question if we're going to understand this. Now, there's all kinds of ways to answer this. I'm tempted to nerd out, but I'm going to try to resist. How does the Father love Jesus? Well, I think one, two ways. Well, we'll call it this. We'll say, we'll say he loves Jesus. In, in Jesus' earthly ministry, the Father loves Jesus through word and deed. It sounds straightforward. He tells Jesus he loves him. We'll look at that in a second. But he also provides for Jesus. It's a provisional love. It's a caring love. The Father sends angels to Jesus after he's tempted by the devil in the wilderness for 40 days. He provides for Jesus, takes care of him and the disciples. But it's even more, it's, it's deeper than that. How does the Father love Jesus? Forever. Forever. I wish I had the, the Jesus Storybook Bible with me here. It's like that unending, never giving up, unfailing love. The Father never began loving Jesus. As Christians, we believe that there is one God and three persons, a, a trinity, a, a community of love and care. It's always existed. From eternity past, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been loving one another in perfect harmony. We believe there's one God and three persons. One God, but the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father. Think about that too long, you're going to blow your mind. I don't understand how it all works, but that is what we're being told. That's how the Father loves Jesus, with an enduring, unfailing, unbreakable love that never had a beginning and never had, will have an end. It's not fickle like our love. It doesn't ebb and flow with how we're feeling. The Greek word here, the verb for this love is agapao, where we get the noun agape. That's a little more common name. You might know the the word for love, agape. The verb means to, to have a warm regard for. To have a warm regard for or an interest in. Listen to these other words, other definitions for this, to cherish to have affection for. We see this in the gospel accounts. We just came out of a multi-year journey through Luke's gospel. And in Jesus' baptism, you might recall, he was baptized by John the Baptist out in the Jordan. And when Jesus is coming up out of the water, the heavens open, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, and the Father's voice proclaims from heaven, this is my beloved Son. Literally, my Son, my, my prized valued and cherished son. In him, with him, I am well pleased. Literally, I take delight in. Why am I doing all this buildup, brothers and sisters? Because that's the love that Jesus has for you. Whether you feel it or not, whether you're doing really good and you've hit and checked all the boxes and you're just crushing the new city regular, or whether you hit the snooze button ten times and missed it this morning, The love that Jesus has for you is one in which he cherishes you. He has affection for you. 
So use the definition. He's, he cherishes you. He has a warm regard for you. Delights in you. Even when we don't delight in ourselves, when we don't cherish ourselves, when we don't value ourselves, our Jesus is telling us that that's the type of love I have for you. How do we know? Because that's the type of love the Father has for me. And that is good news. That our Lord Jesus Christ likes us and loves us and is for us. And just like the Father loves him through word, he, he tells the Son he loves him, and then he shows him he loves him. Jesus does the same for us. He's telling us, I love you, care for you, I cherish you, I will never, never turn my back on you, I love my own. To the end, I will care for you. And I'm stressing this because before Jesus goes into like ne- next week's sermon, the verses next, uh, where he starts telling us how to live and how to love one another, he starts here. He wants us first and foremost to grasp how much he loves us before he then goes and tells us how to love other people. We have to get this right. We have to dwell first on how much Jesus loves us before we can start trying to apply his love in loving others. The love that Jesus has for us sustains our love for others. The love that Jesus has for us empowers us to love. So sit with that. Meditate on the love that Jesus has for you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Stay connected. Remain in that love. Why is he telling us that? Well, because I struggle to believe it. I will forget it by lunchtime. I will start to act like I've earned the the love of God, and have to stay good enough to keep it. More on that in just a second. But verse 10, we haven't talked about verse 10 yet. If you, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Okay, so we have this if word that scares us sometimes. What does this mean? Am I going to get booted out if I'm not good enough? Is this some kind of scary conditional thing? I better do this or else. I don't think that's what's going on. Jesus isn't saying that your obedience to what I say merits my love. And he's also not saying that when you fall short of obeying me, my love for you will end. Why? Well, because Jesus has been saying chapter after chapter after chapter in John's gospel that he loves them. He's already declared, I love you, I am for you, I cherish you, and I like you. Now, out of that position... Do what I say. And so what I think what's being communicated here is that Jesus is saying, as we are obeying and as we are keeping the commands of Jesus, we are abiding in his love. This is a way in which we abide. That makes the most sense with verse 8 and the end of verse 10, but it's also exactly what Jesus just said in the previous chapter. In John 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And that's exactly how loves work. When you think of other loves in your life, if you love something, what do you do? We, we, we do it. Or to use the words of verse 10, we obey it. We make time for it. We think about it. We talk about it. If we love something, we do it. Jesus is just saying, like, I love you. Stay connected to that love. Remind yourself of how much I love you, how much I have pursued you, and how much I care for you. And operate out of that by by doing what I say. Think about me. Talk about me. Abide in me. We have the privilege and the opportunity either to do that with Jesus 
or do that with something else? We do it with Jesus. We have everlasting joy, fullness of pleasure. We do it with something else. It's devastating and detrimental because it's called an idol. Jesus is inviting us. Stay connected to my love. That's where life is. This is good for you. We're made for it. You notice what he says there. I just want to draw your attention to one thing. He says, keep my commandments. Keep. Keep my commandments. I think uh, uh, implicit in this is intentional effort. Again, in connection with us rolling out the new city regular, there is effort we use. We, uh, we say often in the New City community, um, and we'll say it in the Discover New City class, that grace is opposed to earning, not effort. It's an old Dallas Willard quote. The, the, the grace of God is opposed to our earning anything, meriting His love, but the grace of God is not opposed to our effort. So when we talk about abiding in Jesus, we were using the language of passive activity last week. I want to stay connected to Jesus. I love Him. I want to know Him more. I want to experience Him. It's, it's passive activity. There's effort involved, though. What, what do I mean by that? It, has, it will often affect when we go to bed, how, how late we stay up. It might have something to do with the way we use our morning before we come here to prepare our hearts for worship. All of these things are in the New City Regular. But keep my commandments. It means that there's intentional effort involved on our behalf, but grace is there for when we fail because we're imperfect. Oh, there's more I could say, but I want, I want to keep moving. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You will abide in my love. We need these commandments because just as uh, Roger often has used over the years, like a car out of alignment, our hearts are just out of alignment. We're ever, we're ever drifting to the right or left. I'm literally right now driving a car that's got a little alignment issue. It is annoying. Like you're just, oh, stop, stop. Um, that's how our hearts are. Our hearts often need to just be drawn back to Jesus, abide in Him. The beauty of this is that the love of Jesus that He has for us is the position out of which we do all of our life. We are sons and daughters. So our obedience and when we struggle with obeying does not affect that. My children are kind of learning this lesson right now. I have four kiddos. My older two are the ones learning about this right now. You are my son, Isaac. You're my daughter, Amelia. When you disobey, I don't love you any less. You're stuck with my love. They, they don't understand it, though, because when I do have to take something away or you lose your treat or you have to get a discipline, they're like, he doesn't love me anymore. I got to start over. His love for me is gone. But because, by, by the nature of them being my children, they are stamped with my love. My love goes with them. Now, they can please me by their obedience. They can bring me joy, bring me glory if I overstretch the, the, the metaphor of John 15. But they are my children. They've got my love. Jesus is reminding that this to us. He's teaching us that and, and telling us to abide in that love because our hearts are like Teflon. Everything I'm just saying right now about the love of Jesus is just going to slide off our hearts. We need reminded of it. We need to, to keep it before us. Abide in the love of Jesus. So my, my third and final question that serves as our conclusion is, so what? Why talk about this? Why have the regular? Why encourage us to have hourly pathways of reminding us about the gospel? Why read my Bible? Why pray? Why abide? Verse 11. <clears throat> 
excuse me. <clears throat> These things I have spoken to you that your I'm sorry, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is a joy statement. Jesus is after our joy. Abiding in Jesus certainly bears fruit. It so proves that we are his disciples, as verse 8 says, but it brings joy. By knowing Jesus, there is no greater joy this side of heaven for us to know than being in a relationship with the Savior and knowing him. And that's why we've, we've encouraged Bible reading. We've, we've encouraged the hourly pathways, not because there's anything magical in that little pamphlet on the regular. Reading the Bible, praying, being here, Sabbathing one day a week for rest does not guarantee, there's nothing magical in and of themselves. They are pathways to meet with the one who holds out joy. They're ways for us to cultivate a relationship and know Jesus more deeply. And so I think I can say, I want you to be happy. I want you to have joy by knowing Jesus and abiding in his love, his love that he has for you. And they're experienced and embodied by regular normal pathways. Jesus has joy, this, this joy that he knows it's not just a, a fickle happiness that goes up and down with his emotions, it's not up and down with his circumstances, but it surpasses all of that. A steady and sure joy in the midst of whatever you're facing. And I don't know of anything, I don't think, that provides as much joy as knowing that you are loved by someone. You are loved by another. And if we just step back and look at these words, what Jesus is saying is, is he's inviting us into full joy, maximum joy by knowing that the infinite and eternal and gracious King loves you and loves me. Abide in that joy. But if you're like me, you don't believe that sometimes, you doubt it, you know your own darkness and depravity so well that you're like, there's no way God could love me. I would encourage you to look no further than the table to be reminded of exactly how much the Son of God loves you in the invitation before us to have fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Let me pray for us, and Roger's going to take us to the table and remind us of the love of Jesus that's been poured into our hearts. Father God, thank you for your goodness, your mercy. A love that holds on to us as we sang earlier this morning. When our faith fails and when the tempter would prevail and when we struggle to hold on to you, Jesus, your grasp of us is firm. You love your own to the end. Help us remember that. Help us know it deeply as we go to the table now. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.